Let me say good morning to everyone. I am so grateful to God for this weekend. This, this weekend has been wonderful. I've been tremendously blessed. It was a privilege to be out here in the scenes of nature just to be able to fellowship with God's people, to be able to hear God speak to us. Did you hear the Lord speaking to you this weekend? Amen. Amen. Praise God. And I got to tell you, um, the Lord has been very good. He's been speaking to me. Any message, I've always asked God that any message that I give, let it first touch my heart. Because if it can reach me and help me to see something about myself, to see where I perhaps am falling short as it relates to the glory of God, then by the grace of God, as the Lord helps build me up, I'm in a better position to help build up the brethren. So therefore, I'm grateful for the things that the Lord has been sharing. I myself have been revived. I myself have been reformed even more. And I pray by the grace of God that the work that he started within me is the very same work that he will finish and bring it to its completion. And we have that promise, don't we? And so it is that this morning, my desire is not to spend the whole morning, you know, going over quite a bit, but there's something very important that the Lord wants us to understand. You see, the whole focus throughout this weekend was talking about being persuaded like Paul was. Paul knew in whom he believed. Paul had tremendous confidence. Paul did not even demonstrate the weakness that even John the Baptist at one time demonstrated. You remember that John the Baptist, he actually got to a point in his experience where as much as he believed that, behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world, this same John the Baptist at one point in his experience while being in that dungeon, he said, listen, go ask Jesus, are you the Messiah should we look for another? Here it is, the great forerunner at one point allowed himself to get discouraged. But God was so good to Paul that we don't find Paul uttering such words. When Paul was in prison, he was at the point that he said, listen, I know in whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep me unto that day. That's the kind of courage. That's the kind of faith that we need. Paul was able to say this because he understood his calling. He knew what God was calling him to do. Watch this now. And even in the midst of persecution, he was still able to stand, though the heavens were falling all around him. Now, the reason why that's important is because, like I told you, as long as everything goes well, you and I are always going to say, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. All is well. But it's when persecution comes. It's when the trials of life begin to hit us. And brothers and sisters, I don't know what those trials might be. Those trials can come in the form of sickness. It can come in the form of disease. It can come in the form of loss of job or income. It could come in the form of foreclosures. It could come in the form of even death. Will we still be able to utter the words of God's servant? I know whom I believe. And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep me. This must be the attitude of God's people as we go through the final journey of this earth's history. Brothers and sisters, I promise you, time is almost finished. Soon and very soon, we are going to see all the things that we have been studying from the books of Daniel and Revelation fully come to pass. And we will be tested to its greatest severity. Great Controversy tells us that every individual will be severely tested. So as a result of that, we must learn how to stand with Jesus now so that when the great crisis comes to us, we will know how to stand with Jesus later. Amen. 
So with that in mind, we're going to bow our heads for a word of prayer as we go into the final discussion, the final phase of persecution. We discuss, we discuss persecution without, we discuss persecution within. And this morning, we're now going to discuss persecution deep within. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we are grateful, Lord, for the blessing of this wonderful weekend. And Lord, I believe that it's not simply a scripture that we read or a scripture song that we sing, but it is the very words of the sentiments of our own heart that our hearts have been moved. And we know in whom we have believed and we are persuaded that he is able to keep us. Lord, I'm asking for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit. It was the final words of Jesus that was most important to the disciples as he was preparing to depart. And so, Lord, as we meet for this final session, Lord, I'm praying that in a marked manner, you'll pour out your spirit in such a way that you have not even done so throughout the past meetings. And I pray, dear God, that our hearts and our minds might be transformed into the lovely image of Jesus. I pray, dear God, that you will help us to press together, to bind together, that as we prepare to go back to our separate places, that we will go forward in faith, knowing in whom we have believed, being fully and completely persuaded that he is able to keep us and to preserve us all the way unto that precious day. Thank you, Lord God, for having heard and thank you also for answering our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to imagine that there is a minister, a man of God, someone who has been called of God to do a great work. And I want you to imagine that this same minister, he goes around and it gets to a point that as this minister goes and from place to place, he begins to speak God's words to God's people. He speaks God's words to God's people in such a way with such power that individuals would literally come to this minister just to ask them to pray for them because they believe that that minister had such a divine connection between himself and the Savior. We're talking about a minister of the gospel who walks with power. I want you to imagine that there's a minister who goes around and as he preaches the word of God, people are delivered. Delivered from the bondage of sin. Delivered from all the different strongholds that demons put upon their lives. I want you to imagine a minister of the gospel that has that kind of power when they preach. A minister that comes that when individuals see them, the, the people will literally come before them and say, please bless my home, bless my children, because if you pray for us, we know heaven shall hear. You know, there was a time in history where there was such a minister. Everywhere this minister went, he touched hearts, he touched lives, and he was such a blessing to so many people. And this minister who went by the name of John Wesley... John Wesley, one who was able to complement the work of a former reformer by the name of Martin Luther. Martin Luther was the one who was bringing forth the beautiful teachings of justification by faith. And when John Wesley came on the scene, he was one that not only preached justification by faith, but he also taught sanctification by faith. He was able to show the people that you can live holy lives. You can live above sin. This same John Wesley, as he preached to others as he encouraged others, as he ministered to others, it was shortly after he was ordained to the ministry that there's an experience that was recorded through history. In the book, The Life of the Reverend John Wesley, you find this quote. In fact, Great Controversy also has this quote in Great Controversy, page 254, paragraph three. It says, John 
and Charles Wesley, after being ordained to the ministry, were sent on a mission to America. It says on board the ship was a company of Moravians. It says violent storms were encountered on the passage and John Wesley brought face to face with death felt that he had not the assurance of peace with God. The same man who was ministering to others, the same man who people would come to and say, please bless me, bless my home. And he would say some of the most beautiful and eloquent prayers. This same minister, he himself did not have the assurance of the peace with God. And the reason why that's so important is I want you to turn your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter five. Look at what Romans chapter five says. You see, we are told for you and I today. Now, in John Wesley's day, they didn't have the third angel's message yet. But we are told that the third angel's message, according to the book Evangelism, page 190, we are told that the third angel's message is justification by faith in verity. The third angel's message is not simply warning people about a beast and his mark or calling people into receiving God's seal through keeping the Sabbath. The purpose of the third angel's message is to bring individuals into an experience of Christ and his righteousness. And in experiencing the righteousness of Christ, Psalm 119, 172 says, all thy commandments are righteousness. So therefore, if I'm going to experience righteousness by faith, certainly I would keep the commandments of God and not break them. Amen. Amen. So therefore, the third angel's message is justification by faith in verity. But do you know that you and I can know today if we're experiencing the third angel's message? You want to know how? Look at what the Bible says in Romans chapter five. In Romans chapter five, you will find that God makes this thing so plain because of the fact that the third angel's message is justification by faith. In verity, I want you to see one of the fruits that the Bible says comes to all who are experiencing justification by faith. It says in Romans chapter five and verse one, read it with me. It says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know that most Seventh-day Adventists today do not have peace? Most Seventh-day Adventists today have perplexity. Most Seventh-day Adventists today do not, like John Wesley, have the assurance of the peace of God within. And what's so deep is that the same way that ministers in times past, ministers who would go out and preach the word, ministers who would stand on pulpits, Ministers who would pray God's blessings on others. It is amazing how a minister can pray and believe God's blessings for others, but they cannot believe it for themselves. It's a persecution that lies deep within. The persecution of Lord, I believe your promises and your truth for others, but I've gone so far, Lord, I don't really believe that you can actually do it for me. Today, there are Seventh-day Adventists. I remember I was speaking at a school. It was a college. And as I was speaking at this college, I remember seeing some things. Brothers and sisters, it, it, it floored me. I'll be honest with you. It floored me. This college was known to be the teachers and presenters of present truth. They were known to teach all of the truths for this time. Everything from dress reform, health reform, righteousness by faith, and the list goes on. And here it is. They brought me in to speak at this school. And when I came to speak at that school, I was, I'll tell you the truth, by what I saw, I was amazed. I saw young people 
that as early as 5.30 in the morning, you would find them on their knees praying before God, pleading for the outpouring of his Holy Spirit. Never saw a group like that of young people. I saw young people that when they came together, even when they were in corners and it wasn't time for class, they would literally be studying their Bibles, studying the spirit of prophecy and trying to learn the words of God. I remember that when it was time to eat, it was not one of those situations where you had to ask, is vinegar in this? Is chocolate in this or is some other type of poison in this? No, brothers and sisters, everything was just right. All of the young ladies wore long flowing dresses that covered their most holy place. The young men, when it was time to pray, they would kneel reverently before God and they would pour out their hearts to Jesus. I'm talking about an environment that floored me. I sat in some of their classes and I listened as how these young people memorized chapters in the Bible. Not just a verse or two, chapters. And as I was there, I'm saying, okay, Father, this is a very impressive environment. And I said, Father, what would you have me speak to these people? Because, you know, ministers, we can have our own thoughts and our own ideas, but sometimes the Holy Spirit decides to change everything around. And the Lord began to give me some very special messages to give to them. And as I gave it to them, I remember one night we talked about persecution deep within. And as we talked about the persecutions deep within, I said, after this meeting, I'm going to stay here on the side and I'm going to be available to any of you who would like to pray. If you know you're going through some trials, some struggles, and you're asking God for deliverance, come and pray. 90% of the people stayed back. We were on our knees praying for over two hours. Now, brothers and sisters, 95% of the people who came for prayer, both youth and adult, do you know what the resounding statement was coming from their mouths? They said, I don't know God. They said, I do not have the peace that Christ can give. They said, have mercy on us. Please pray for us. Pray for my mother. Pray for my father. I feel like I'm lost. And I was saying to myself, Lord, how could this be? They were looking on the outward like they were doing so much right. But there was a persecution that was taking place deep within. Satan was whispering in their ears saying, you're a sinner. And you can do all you want. You can kneel as many times as you want. You can pray as many times as you want. You can study and you can give out tracts and books. You're a sinner and you're lost. And they believed the devil. We're talking about persecution deep within. John Wesley was going through this same persecution. While he was there, he believed God's truth for others. But he did not have the assurance of peace with God for himself. While he was telling everybody else, you are justified by faith. John Wesley himself did not believe he was justified because the fruit of all who are justified by faith. Romans 5, 1 are those who have peace with God. It goes on to say the Germans, on the contrary. Now, here goes John Wesley. He himself, he didn't have peace. But it says the Germans, on the contrary, manifested a calmness and trust to which he, John Wesley, was a stranger. He did not have that calmness. He did not have that trust. Do you know how many times I've been in present truth circles 
I've been in circles where people believe all the deep truths of the Bible. They'll tell you about the nearness of the Sunday law. They'll tell you about all these different things. But at the end of the day, they do not believe that Jesus died for them and can save them. They're literally warning a people about something that's coming that they themselves are not even prepared for it. You know, so often we say 1 John 3, 4. We say, you know, 1 John 3, 4 tells us that sin is the transgression of the law of God. And is that true? Yes, it is. But brothers and sisters, go to Romans chapter 14. We don't hear enough of this one. In Romans, the 14th chapter, the Bible lets us know something else that's sin. The Bible says in Romans, the 14th chapter. And when you get there, let me know by saying amen. In Romans chapter 14, we find that there's something else that the Bible calls sin. And notice what it says. Romans, the 14th chapter. And it's in verse 23. And if you're there, let me know by saying amen. Amen. The Bible says in Romans 14, in verse 23, it says, And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. Read that last sentence with me. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Whatsoever is not of faith, brothers and sisters, is sin. How could you and I do a work and preach a message that we ourselves don't even believe nor claim for ourselves? When we begin to tell everyone, oh, you can be saved, Jesus pardoned, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. But at the same time, we don't believe Jesus can save me. We've been lying. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin, the Bible says. Some of the best sermons that have been preached from pulpits have been nothing less than an act of sin on behalf of the preacher because the preacher can't claim the same promise for himself that he's given to the masses. God says you must believe. You must understand that the same promises you're giving to the people belong to you. Now, continuing in this story, I want you to listen to this. I thought this was absolutely amazing as I see this, because brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you, there was a time in my life that I related too closely to Elder John Wesley. There were promises and things that I could preach for others and teach to others. And I've seen people, brothers and sisters, who have gone from faithless to faithful. But I would see them walk away with God's truth. And I would sometimes say in the back of my mind, Lord, I wish I had that faith that they have. And it was torture. Oh, the persecution from without. I can handle that by the grace of God. Some of the persecution from the Pharisees and Sadducees within. Oh, yes, I can handle some of that, too, by the grace of God. But brothers and sisters, my greatest battle was the persecution that was deep within my own heart. Because I didn't believe that the same promises that I was giving to others, I myself can be a recipient of it. It was a deep persecution. John Wesley, it says in Great Controversy 255, on his return to England, it says Wesley, under the instruction of a Moravian preacher, arrived at a clearer understanding of Bible faith. Praise God. It says he was convinced that he must renounce all dependence upon his own works for salvation and must trust wholly to the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. At a meeting of the Moravian Society in London, a statement was read from Luther describing the change which the spirit of God works in the heart of the believer. As Wesley listened, faith was kindled in his soul. Here's the words of John Wesley. He says, I felt my heart strangely warmed. He said, I felt I did trust in Christ. Christ. 
Christ alone for salvation and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. It says through long years of wearisome, listen to his life. It says through long years of wearisome and comfortless striving, years of rigorous self-denial, of reproach and humiliation, Wesley had steadfastly adhered to his one purpose of seeking God. Now he had found him and he found that the grace which he had toiled to win by prayers and fasts, by alms, deeds and self-abnegation was a gift without money and without price. John Wesley was toiling, trying to make himself holy. And brothers and sisters, it was burdensome. Can you relate to John Wesley? Have you ever tried to make yourself right with God? Do you know some of us try to make ourselves right with God and the devil is so slick that sometimes he does it to us and we don't even realize it. Can I give you an example? Brothers and sisters, be honest with me. Tell me if you ever had this experience. God points out to you sin. He helps you to understand what sin is, right? As he helps you and I to understand what sin is, we begin to see sin on a deeper level because sin, it is true, is the breaking of God's law. But don't ever forget Psalm 119, 96. The Bible says thy law is exceeding deep. So that when you look at the law of God, you can't look at it on the surface. You got to look at it in depth. An example with that would be when Jesus said, listen, it's not so much that you commit adultery, but he said, but even when you look upon a woman to lust after her, you've already committed adultery where? In your heart. Now, if God will condemn the man that looks upon a woman lustfully, would not God condemn the woman that dresses in a manner to cause men to look at her lustfully? Thy law is exceeding deep. So therefore, we can take the law of God and we can magnify it on several levels. Now, watch this. Here it is. God brings the truth of his law to you. He helps you to understand it on a deep level that you can really see sin as it is exceedingly sinful. Now, when you see sin for what it is, you make a declaration before God to say, Lord, by your grace and by your power, I will never do that sin ever again. How many of you have ever made that kind of decision? We've done it right now. Watch this. You tell God, Lord, I'm through with this thing by your grace, by your power. And sometimes days, weeks, months, maybe even years will go by and you don't go back to that sin anymore. You start feeling pretty good, don't you? you start feeling thankful. You start feeling like, praise the Lord. Thank the Lord. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not a victim. I'm not a slave to that sin anymore. Watch this. But one day, during a moment of weakness, that sin that you thought you had victory over, taps you on the shoulder and says, I'm back. And all of a sudden, that same sin, once again, you fall into it. Can anybody relate? Yes. All right. When you fall back into that sin, oh, watch this. The devil is a subtle enemy. When you fall back into that sin, you feel terrible, don't you? You start, you, you, you almost kind of beat yourself up. You start saying, Lord, have mercy. I can't believe I went back to this thing. But watch this. When we feel that way, we still pray and say, Lord, please forgive me for my sin. Is that right? You can still relate. After you say the prayer, Lord, please forgive me for my sin. You get up from your knees 
but you still feel guilty for the sin that you have committed. Stay with me. That guilt is impressing and deepening upon your heart and you're going throughout the day, it seems, as if, man, I just can't believe I fell back into that sin. And you're beating yourself up until the cell phone rings. And there's somebody who needs prayer. And then you pray for that person. And that person says, you know what? That prayer was such a blessing to me. Thank you so much. And when they get off and when you get off the phone, all of a sudden, your guilt is gone. Or you're in the grocery store. You have your glow tracks in your backpack. You're walking around and you're saying to yourself, oh, Lord, how is it that I could have fallen into this sin? Oh, God. And it seems like we're struggling to believe that God forgave us. But then all of a sudden you see an opportunity to give a glow track to somebody. You give them the track. They say, oh, I've been waiting for this. This is wonderful. Thank you so much. And they feel so good. And when it is done, you begin to feel better and that guilt goes away. As soon as the opportunity for Christian service avails itself and we do a work. Then the guilt goes away. We still do not understand justification by faith because many of us still believe I got to do something to feel pardoned for my sins. That is the Roman Catholic mindset that is prevalent in the Seventh-day Adventist church. There are a bunch of people who name the name SDA, but in truth, they're RC. They're Roman Catholics because they believe I got to do something to truly believe that God has forgiven me. We cannot claim the naked promises of the word of God that if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So it was with John Wesley. So it was with many other reformers. So it was with many of our pioneers. We struggled with this because it's a persecution that is deep within. I got to do something to make myself right. I cannot believe the naked promises of God. You see, God always understood this point, and this is why he tells us. I want you to listen to this quote here. You see, it is true that we have those without who are always seeking to unsettle us as the people of God. It is true that there are wolves in sheep's clothing within, and their mission is also to unsettle us as the people of God. But though these individuals who are enemies are truly in our lives or around our lives, don't ever forget this quotation from Manuscript Release 21, page 302, where it says the greatest burden, the what? The greatest burden we have to bear in this life is self. There is no greater enemy that you have. There is no greater persecutor that you have than your own self. The greatest burden in this life that we all must bear is the burden of dealing with self. And it goes on to say, self is the most difficult thing we have to manage. In laying off burdens, let us not forget to lay self at the feet of Christ. 
Go with me to the book of Revelation chapter 12. In Revelation chapter 12, we understand one of the works of Satan himself is that he does something to us as God's people. Satan's desire is that you might preach something you yourself don't believe nor are experiencing. That's his desire. As long as you're not experiencing it, even Satan will say amen when you preach it. Because he knows at the end of the day, you're mine anyhow. So therefore, we must understand that the Bible told us something about him. It's found in the book of Revelation chapter 12. And if you're there, let me know by saying amen. It says in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10, it says, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the what? Accuser of our brethren is cast down. Who's that? That is none other than Satan himself, which accused them before our God day and night. Brothers and sisters, Satan is defined and recognized in inspiration as an accuser of the brethren. And while it is true that he will go before God and say, so-and-so is unworthy. They do not deserve your love. They do not deserve your grace. They deserve death. Satan also tries to seal that ideology by saying the very same thing to us. He says, look at you. You're here up in the mountains and you're trying to have this great experience with Jesus. But here it is that there just might be some type of sin, some type of vile practice, something that might have taken place even over this weekend. And Satan will whisper in our ears, look at you. You're worthless. Look at you. You can't make it. You can preach it to others. But as for you, you can't claim these promises. You're lost. And he constantly whispers that in our ears. But I'm so grateful for inspiration. I want you to listen to this. It says here, I will praise God for this statement. It says in Review and Herald, September 20th, 1892. It says, when Satan tells you, I want you to listen to this. Listen to this quote. You want to write this down. Commit it to memory. It says, when Satan tells you that you are a sinner and points out this neglect and that wrong, tell him. You know you are a sinner, but that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Tell him if any man sin, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Repeat the promise. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to you. Present the promise to God in the name of Jesus and you have his pledged word that he will let the sun of righteousness shine upon you. Brothers and sisters, it is true. Proverbs 24, 16 says a just man falls down seven times, but the key is that he rises back up again. So therefore, if you sin, aren't you grateful? The Bible says if and not when. It says, if you sin, you see, most people, they cherish the second sentence while they negate the first. The first sin is where God says in first John two, he says, beloved, I wish that you would sin not. In other words, you need to stop sinning. But sometimes we hear so much about stop sinning, stop sinning, victory over sin, victory over sin. And we get that so deeply ingrained in our minds that we forget the other promise that it says, but if we sin. We have an advocate with the father. I cannot count on my fingers, my toes and your fingers and your toes of how many times I've traveled throughout this country 
getting ready to travel throughout this world. And over and over again, the people of God are saying, I have no assurance. I do not have the peace with God that I need to have. I don't believe I can have victory over sin. And the reason why they say that is because when they believed it in their minds, they saw themselves falling short in their actions. They fell into sin. The Bible says, if you sin, you do have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. Please, brothers and sisters, give a balanced message to the people. Do just like John. Listen, God says, I want you to stop sinning. By the grace of Christ, we can do it. But if you sin, don't ever forget you have an advocate with the Father. Don't ever forget that. Because when we fall into sin is when we begin to experience the deep persecution within. And it's when the enemy begins to speak to us and to tell us. I've been to several meetings, brothers and sisters. I'm telling you. I've heard and I've listened to several preachers as they go and they share it. And sometimes they make victory over sin look so ugly. They make it look like it's such a burden. Now, don't get me wrong. Christ Object Lessons, page 331. We are told that it will be a severe battle. A severe battle with self. She says we'll have to scrutinize ourselves. We'll have to criticize ourselves closely. So I'm not saying that it's a bed of roses, but brothers and sisters, it is that which Christ can bring us through. And God is saying to each and every one of us, he says, yes, victory over sin. It is necessary. And Jesus also says, and you ought to press toward that mark. But Christ also says, but if you sin, don't stay down and wallow in your sin. Because even a just man falls down seven times. But the key is that he rises back up again. Many people have left this truth and left this movement because they were preaching a high and holy standard that they realized deep in their own hearts. They themselves were not having that experience. And as a result, over a period of time, they felt like, look at me. Here I am preaching such a high and holy standard. I myself have fallen into sin. They no longer believe any of those promises of God. And as a result of that, they find themselves saying, what's the point? I might as well leave. And they turn their backs on Jesus. I want you to listen to this. Isaiah 55. Go to Isaiah 55 as we close. In Isaiah 55, we have one of the most beautiful statements given in inspiration. That I want each and every one of us to claim this. Claim it as your own. In Isaiah 55, notice what the Bible says. I want you to see what the scripture says. And it's Isaiah 55 in verse 7. And then I want to read a beautiful quotation to you that complements this very statement. In Isaiah 55 and verse 7, here's what it says. Let's read it together, in fact. It says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will what? Abundantly pardon. God says, I will abundantly pardon. Sometimes we make God look like he has this measuring stick where he says, all right, you messed up the fifth time. You got two more to go. And then after that judgment, there's some people that look at God like that. But God says, listen, I abundantly pardon. Is God promoting sin? Is God promoting us to go ahead and fall into sin? Heaven forbid. But God understands the frailty of mankind that while we're on the heavenward journey, there may be a point in time that we might fall. And if we sin. 
we have an advocate with the Father. Now listen to this. Faith and Works, page 36, commenting on this very statement that we just read in Isaiah 55. Here's what it says. It says, we must learn in the school of Christ. Nothing, what? Nothing. Nothing but his righteousness can entitle us to one of the blessings of the covenant of grace. We have long desired and tried to obtain these blessings, but have not received them because we have cherished the idea that we could do something to make ourselves worthy of them. We have not looked away from ourselves, believing that Jesus is a living Savior. We must not think that our own grace and merits will save us. The grace of Christ is our only hope of salvation. Through his prophet, the Lord promises, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon Isaiah 55, 7. We must believe the naked promise. Did you hear that? You must believe that naked promise. Don't add to it. Don't put anything there. Believe it for what it says. God says, when you forsake it, God says, I have abundantly pardoned you. It concludes by saying, we must believe the naked promise and not accept feeling for faith. That's one of our mistakes. We keep waiting to feel better before we claim the promise. In the book, Early Writings, page 72, it says, faith is ours to exercise. But it says, but joyful feeling is God's to give. Did you catch that? You see, the world says, feel it first, do it second. Or feel it first, believe it second. That's what the world says. God says, I am not like the world. God says, believe it and do it. Accept it. And after, he says, I will give you joyful feeling about that thing you believe and have accepted and are doing. God's plan is different from man's. And so it is that as you heard all throughout this weekend and you're saying to yourself, Lord, I have heard victory over sin. I have heard that there's all this persecution from without and persecution within the Pharisees, the Sadducees. Lord, have mercy. I looked at my own heart and I realized I myself was a Pharisee. I myself was a Sadducee. Lord, there's no hope for me. I might as well preach to save others, but I cannot claim those promises for myself. God says, dear child, God says, listen to me. He says, you're not the first one to go through this. And God says, the same way that I delivered others in times past, God says, I can deliver you. God says, those same promises that I've given to all mankind, God says, how could you believe that they're not for you? There's a third type called the don't see. Well, there's always the third type. Pharisee, Sadducee, don't see. Well, God simply wants us to understand, brothers and sisters, that we're living in such a time That God is saying, I want you to be persuaded that I can keep you. But the same way that Paul in the midst of persecution, he was still able to say, I know in whom I believed. I know he's able to keep me. I'm persuaded about this. Nothing can move me. Brothers and sisters, you cannot afford to leave this mountain without the same testimony in your own heart. I know in whom I believe. Nothing can move me. I don't care if it's persecution without. I don't care if it's persecution within. Even if it's persecution deep within. I have to make sure that I know in whom I believe. Mm 
You know, in Mark chapter 9, it talks about a man who had a boy who was possessed by a demon. This young man who was possessed by a demon, the man with faith, brought his child to the disciples with the hope that the disciples were going to cast out that demon. But you know the story very well. The disciples tried to do it, but they failed. They couldn't do it. Well, ultimately, Christ comes on the scene. And as Christ came on the scene, Jesus came to heal. But I want you to notice a statement that Jesus said to the man. And he's asking you the same question today. And as we go to the book of Mark, chapter nine, as we close. Jesus made a statement to this man. And I want you to see how Jesus made his statement. Then I want you to see how the man made his statement. Then I want you to see what Jesus did. The Bible says in Mark, the ninth chapter. When you get there, let me know by saying amen. In Mark, the ninth chapter, it says in verse 23, Jesus said unto him, read it with me. If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth." Jesus says, if you can believe my promise, not for the world, not for the church, but for you. He says, if you can believe my words for you, he says, all things are possible. No matter how wretched, no matter how filthy, no matter how many times you've messed up. Jesus says, if you can believe, all things are possible. Now, I want you to look at the man's response. What an honest statement. Could we be honest like him today? The man said in verse 24, and straightway, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. We've got to be honest with God. Many of us, brothers and sisters, are just like this man. We've heard. We've seen. We might have even experimented and have tried some things. But sometimes, even though we say, Lord, I believe, but there's still some doubt in my heart. Please, Jesus, help thou my unbelief. And as that man came honestly to Christ, look at what Jesus did. It says in verse 25, when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And he delivered that young man. That father's faith was not perfect, but it was enough to move the arm of omnipotence. Brothers and sisters, go to God today. Say, Lord, I do believe, but I confess, I still have unbelief. I'm asking for you to help thou my unbelief. There are going to be times that the devil's going to whisper in your ear, brothers and sisters. The persecution will be deep within. He will accuse you. He will tell you every reason why you can't make it. But by the grace of God, claim these promises as your own. Go to God and say, Lord, I believe, but please help my unbelief. And as Jesus, who is, has no respect of persons, the same way Jesus met that man and helped his unbelief. Brothers and sisters, no doubt about it. God will help your unbelief. Do you believe that man's faith was increased when he saw his son delivered? 
God wants to increase your faith today. He wants to deliver you. He wants to show you that the demons that have been oppressing upon your lives. He says, listen, I can make you free today if you simply accept it. Jesus says, believe. Believe. Don't wait for feeling. Believe that it is done. And it is done. I don't know about you, but brothers and sisters, I recognize that there is a persecution without. I saw that there was a persecution within. But I believe the one that's hurting most of us the most is this persecution that's deep within. This is the one battle that by the grace of God, if we can get victory over this deep persecution, we can handle those within. We can handle those without. For God has given us victory over the weightier matters. And if you are willing to be honest with yourself to say, you know what? I confess. Now, brothers and sisters, don't look at yourself. Don't worry about the position you hold in church. Don't worry about whatever it is that you think other people think about you. This appeal is between you and God. If today you can see and you can recognize. I have been surrendering to the deep persecution within. There have been promises that I have been giving to others that I confess I haven't been able to claim them for myself. And today you're saying, by the grace of God, I accept what Christ has done for me as well as accept what he is doing for me and what he has started. He will bring it to completion. If you can see that you've been trusting in self, you have been giving in to the deep persecutions within and believing the whispers of the enemy, but today God has given you victory. Then I want you to testify before one another, encourage one another and stand to your feet. Sometimes people need to see somebody else stand so they can say, praise God, you know what? Thank the Lord, I can stand too. It's a great persecution within, deep within. But God has promised today that he can deliver us. Amen. Let us seal it with prayer. Father in heaven, we are so grateful, Lord. This weekend has been so powerful to us. For Lord, you have helped us to get a better understanding of how we can know in whom we have believed and to be persuaded that he is able to keep us until that day. And Lord, the day truly is approaching. It's not that much further. Father, I pray that you might keep faithful your people. Lord God, as we prepare to head back to several places, Lord, I'm asking for the anointing of your spirit that he may go and abide within each and every one of our hearts, that we will take the promises of God and we will claim them as inspiration says, naked as they are. We will no longer seek to do something to make things right with you. Forgive us, Lord, for manifesting our Protestant version of indulgences. But Lord, today we give them to thee and we accept thy righteousness. And we no longer look to our own doings and our own merits, but we are trusting in thy righteousness to give us the strength to live a holy life in a sinful world. We thank you for the testimony of others like your servant, John Wesley. Thank you, Lord God, for the recording of that piece of history, for it now has become a source of encouragement to many others. And Father, if there be any of us who remain seated, but we knew we should have stand. I pray, Father, please impress upon our hearts. There's nothing we can do. If for some reason we do not understand, Lord, I pray, please impress upon our hearts 
to see that all things have come of thee, and of thine own have we simply given thee. May you bless those who have taken their stand, that they recognize that they have been surrendering to the persecutions deep within. But today you have made us free. And we won't wait for our feelings, but we accept your truths by faith. And we simply patiently wait for the joyful feeling that will be sent from heaven to give to each of us. Thank you again for hearing our prayer. Thank you for abiding with us throughout this weekend. Continue to keep us, we pray, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This message is produced by PTH Ministries. Our mission is to spread the three angels' messages through preaching and teaching the Seventh-day Adventist message and to integrate healing through medical missionary work in declaring the gospel. For more information on our ministry and the resources we provide, please log on to our website at www.pthministries.com. That's www.pthministries.com. Or you can call us at 770-274-9537. That's 770-274-9537. May we do our part to meet the needs of humanity through the everlasting gospel and hasten Christ's return. Maranatha.